Does that sound good back there? Yeah, we can hear. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started on this Lord's Day. Let's uh, open up with a word of prayer before we get into the Sunday school lesson. Our Lord and our God, we thank you uh, for this new day, for the sun that rises as scheduled, as we've had rain this past week, the, the rain that falls on the earth, for the just and the unjust, for how you are sustaining us every day, Lord. You uphold the universe by the word of your power. Lord, we thank you that we can open up your word this morning, that it can teach us, Lord, all that we need to know about life that pertains to life and godliness, that your truth is eternal as you are. We pray that you may help us, Lord, as we go through Jeremiah, that we may grow in grace, that you may renew our minds, that we may look to Christ, our prophet, our priest, and our king. Lord, may we humbly look at those as we go through this who have sinned against you as we have and still do every day, but we thank you that Jesus Christ is our Lord and that we have all of scripture to have this great hope that we can read of every single morning and evening and However, um, however often we do. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, today's Sunday School lesson is going to be Jeremiah 36. And this is last time filling in for Paul Munson. Um, I think for a 13-week uh, series that the man deserves a break. But um, today we're going to actually focus specifically on a covenant-breaking leader covenant-breaking king, that would be King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah. And um, as, we, as you open your Bibles, if you don't mind, to 36, so I'm just kind of setting the context for us, uh, we are in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, which is 605 BC. This is about 20 years until the fall of Jerusalem in 587. BC. And so, uh, as we learn from Scripture, let's, let's read it, uh, take our time to understand it, and then we will uh, begin some more. So, let's start in verse 1, chapter 36. I'm going to read the whole chapter, as this is where we will primarily be today. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, take a scroll and write on it. All the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations, from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them, so that every one may turn from his evil way, and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord, so you are to go. And on a day of fasting, in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their cities." It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord, and that every one will turn from his evil way, 
For great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against this people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. In the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, all the people in Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Then, in the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gamaria, the son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. When Micaiah, the son of Gamaria, son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the king's house, into the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there, Elishama the secretary, Deliah the son of Shemaiah, Elnathan the son of Akbor, Gamariah the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah the son of Hananiah, and all the officials. And Micaiah told them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the scroll in the hearing of the people. Then all the officials sent Jehudi, the son of Nathaniah, son of Shelemiah, son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, Take in your hand the scroll that you read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And they said to him, Sit down and read it. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all the words, they turned one to another in fear. And they said to Baruch, We must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, Tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? Baruch answered them, He dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with, with ink on the scroll. Then, they, then the officials said to Baruch, Go and hide you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. So they went into the court to the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama the secretary. And Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter house. There was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when Elnathan and Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiah, the king's son, and Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch, the secretary, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. Now the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the, son, the king of Judah, has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, Why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I pronounced against them but they would not hear. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim king of Judah had burned in the fire 
and many similar words were added to them. There's much that has happened there. Um, But again, the context to have here, and why I think it's important to read Scripture all the way through in the start, is again, 605 B.C. is where we find ourselves, the fourth year of Jehoiakim, right in verse 1. If you go back in time a little bit, the book of the law was found in the temple in Josiah's 18th reign in 621 B.C. That is another account that we'll look at today to compare the two. But I wanted to start off and work through this um, in sections. So the first section is, what is Jeremiah to do? This is a rhetorical question. What is Jeremiah to do? If we look at verses 1 through 3, starting in verse 2, take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you. Pause there. Does anybody know what a scroll was in the ancient world? What was it made of? Papyrus. Papyrus is common use. But as I, oh, yes, Barrett. Animal skins? Yes. So, um, I can't take credit for this. Paul Munson sent this to me this week. But um, some recent archaeological studies have shown um, that there was also almost like a wooden board that they would write on. As they would, as Baruch the scribe would write down what Jeremiah was dictating to him. And so, with the black screen here, Hold on. All right. So there was, um, in 2020, there was found, again, this is not definitive, that this is 100% what Baruch wrote on or sealed, but there was something called a bula in the ancient world in which they would take and seal this scroll of wood or papyrus, maybe, as we're talking about here, and the seal or the bula were small, small clumps or lumps of clay about the size of a fingernail. Kind of looked just like that. They have found many of these in the ancient world, but this one was unique because on the seal it says Baruch, the son of Neriah, the scribe. And this was put, like we said before, on a scroll. The scroll was not found with it, of course, but what they found on the back side of it, after some reanalysis years later as scientists go back and forth, was wood. So you would expect when you seal something that what you seal it on, if it left a residue on the back of that seal, you'd want it to be the same material that they would have used during that day. So they believe, all this to say, they believe that um, this scroll, potentially, that this seal was something that Baruch, the son of Neriah, had sealed, this bula that they found back in 2020 in Jerusalem. And I just wanted to take a few minutes this week because I think it's worth um, the question is, to the Christian, what is the purpose of archaeology in studying the Bible? That's a question to you. Time and again, you hear of archaeological discoveries like that that prove the authenticity, the accuracy of uh, the Old Testament and even New Testament uh, stories and 
Yes. Whatnot. Yeah. Yes. Through the authenticity of Scripture. Anything else? Anybody else? Would you like to say? Oh, you're okay. Oh, sorry. Okay, no worries. All right, well, got one back there. I see him. Go ahead, Barrett. Hands, keep your hands up if you're... Go ahead, Mark. When we look at the New Testament, when Jesus is uh, said to have performed many miracles, you can look in different areas where uh, the Greek uh, emphasizes it either being a work of power or an attesting miracle, but something that attests to who he is and his authority. So archaeology is just one other method or means that Jesus uses to reinforce the authenticity of his word. You see it. Something that you can see, right? Authenticity again. Anything different? Bear? Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that, yeah, it's useful for, for talking to unbelievers to show that there's a reason to trust and, and to prove that it's authentic, but it's also for the bolstering of our faith. That it's like, okay, it does hold water. Yeah, That's right. And I, w- I would add to that, that, you know, when you think about the uh, <clears throat> categories of special revelation and general revelation, special revelation referring to the Bible and general revelation referring to creation and everything else, basically, um, as believers, we don't have to be afraid that something will be found in general revelation that will contradict special revelation, contradict the Bible, or prove that it's not true. And the reason for that is because God is the author of both. God is the author of the Bible, and God is the author of the world. He made the world. He sustains the world. So when we have these archaeological discoveries... Sometimes there's an initial splash in the water, so to speak, where we're still trying to figure out what does the discovery really mean or what is it referring to? It needs to be tested, etc. Uh, <clears throat> but in general, as Christians, we can, we can uh, have confidence in the fact that whatever is found in general revelation uh, will be ultimately consistent with what we find in special revelation because both our, our uh, God is behind both. So general and special. God, he is the God of both. So he created the cosmos. He created all things. He created you and me. And it's his word. I'm going to go to somebody by the name of Dr. John Currid. This was very providential this week. I was just kind of reading my Bible this morning and my Gmail went off. Not a good practice to keep your phone away. But my Gmail went off and I opened up my email. And right there was an email from Ligonier that this man, Dr. John Currid, who I've never heard of before at Reformation Bible College. Maybe many of you have. He was speaking on archaeology in the Old Testament. And I think he has much, a much better uh, response than I could provide. So I'm just going to provide a couple minutes, two sections of the clip. Um, and if, does anybody know him, by the way, here? Pastor Matt, I figured. I was hoping. Cool. Uh, what is he? Okay, I thought I saw RTS Charlotte on there. Was that at RTS Charlotte? What was he teaching? Was it? Old okay. Okay. All right. He's also an archaeologist, too. Um, and so let's, let's watch this video a couple minutes in two places. And I think he has some good things to say here about the purpose in archaeology. Uh, the Phoenicians. 
Now, what I'm getting at with, with uh, those stories of Tel Kasila and then at Carthage is that uh, the weight of archaeological research is that it deals with the very physical nature of things and therefore it grounds us in what the Latins call the realia, the the real things of, of ancient life. Again, it demonstrates the earthiness of the scriptures and how the episodes of the Bible occurred in time and place and history. It provides us with insight into daily living. Now, let me give you a more recent example. Earthiness of, of the Bible provides us with real time, real life, a piece of pottery. You can touch it. You can see it. It's something that you can't argue against. Something that I think is very helpful to our, our culture around us. This is history. This is when it's dated. This is it. And and we'll get to questions at the end of what he says, but I have one more clip here. 51. Highly recommend this this afternoon. It's just on YouTube. When I... uh... So real quick, he's about to talk about um, some of the dangers that also come with archaeology and the sensationalism that can come from finding certain things. Um, And I think he gives a really good answer here, so just... Keep that in mind as we listen. I uh, was a Ph.D. student in archaeology at the University of Chicago. My thesis advisor came to me one day, and he said that he had a donor uh, that had presented a proposal to him. Uh, the donor wanted to fund fully an expedition to the land of Moab to find the bones of Moses that the Lord had buried there before the Israelites crossed into the land of promise. My advisor, this will tell you a lot, uh, said that he immediately thought of me to lead the expedition because he knew I had a high view of the Bible. He was honest with me, however, and said he knew I wouldn't find anything, but that I would get experience in leading an expedition. But I turned down the offer. Because I read Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 5 through 6. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. I figured that if the Israelites didn't know where Moses was buried, then I had no chance of discovering it at all. See, we need not... Go for the sensational or the spectacular find. We need to depend on tried and true archaeological work to reveal ruins and finds that can help illuminate and give earthiness to the scriptures. Any other thoughts or questions there? Anybody? going to see the bones of Moses in this room. But with great certainty, right? The scriptures are primary. Scriptures are always primary. Archaeology is supplemental, but it serves a purpose for us too. Can't forget that. Uh, These are real people, 
real things, real times, real places. And that's where we're going into today, as we have been throughout all of Jeremiah and all of Scripture. And what I want us to look at here in, verse 30, in chapter 36, verse 2 again, we talked about the scroll a little bit and what it's made of. And that will that'll play in uh, near the end uh, to, of today and what it's made of. But, but he says here, um, the Lord says, Take a scroll to Jeremiah and write on it all the words I've spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way, and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. All the words that God spoke to Jeremiah concerning Israel and Judah and all the nations. This is a complete collection all the way back to when Jeremiah first started in his call and began preaching and prophesying to the people of Judah. And we learn about this, I think, with greater clarity, again, comparing Scripture to Scripture, in Jeremiah 25. So turn with me to Jeremiah 25. For the sake of time, I'm going to read um, 1 through 12. For the sake of time. But it's, I think it's very important that we understand this and what he's speaking, um, what is in the scroll, and, um, and what Jehoiakim is going to read or hear. Chapter 25, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. Pause there. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, I have spoken to the people of Judah. I have prophesied to them what the word of the Lord has said. Continuing on, verse 4. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your own hands, the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed... I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So what is in the scroll 
talked about. They're all the words that God has spoken to Jeremiah over a long period of time. It's given right here in 25. He's gathered into a collection. And what is the purpose? The purpose is to warn of the incoming judgment on Israel. Or Israel and Judah, rather. So Israel being that they were conquered in 722 B.C., so that's not coming, that already happened. They should look back and remember that. But the incoming judgment on Judah is coming in 587 B.C. in its finality. And then, I think there's an important lesson here to to learn. The Lord does not stop there. If you turn back to 36 with me, sorry for the quick flipping, but all the nations... I've spoken against Israel and Judah and all the nations. This judgment will also come upon Babylon in the end and more nations that you can read about later in Jeremiah. So the Lord is not forsaking his people, but he is bringing judgment upon these nations that have been unrepentant to him. And so um, I think the other purpose we can't miss here in fear of focusing, as we did a couple weeks ago, so much on judgment is there's something in verse 3 of 36 that is promising to us, that would be promising to those people at the time. I'm going to read uh, Matthew Henry's analysis of this because it says in verse 3, so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. The purpose of this judgment is for this purpose of the scroll and what's written in it that's going to be read to the king to King Jehoiakim that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity Matthew Henry writes here the reason here for the writing of this scroll <coughs> um, excuse me the reason here for the writing of the, this roll verse 3 it may be the house of Judah will hear what it is hoped they will thus hear all that evil which I purpose to do to them do unto them What it is hoped they will be produced thereby is that, here it is, they will hear that they may return every man from his evil way. And in these last days, the conversion of sinners is that which ministers should aim at in preaching. And people hear the word in vain if that point be not gained with them. Right? So the scroll as it was back then to lead people unto repentance, a turning away from their evil way, Similarly today, the, the role of ministers, that you may ter- turn from your sin and look to Christ. Um, and so just important to kind of get that context headed into the remainder of 36. So this next section, we'll go through a little bit slower, um, or a little bit faster. It's a little bit less, but verses 4 through 8 highlights who is the one that will be dictating rather, reading these, the scroll to the people of Judah. So verse 4. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll, at the dictation of Jeremiah, all the words of the, Lord, of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord, so you are to go. And on a day of fasting, in the hearing of all the people, in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord and that every one will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against his people. 
And Baruch the son of Neriah did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. So a new character for us, a new person in the story of Jeremiah. Baruch the son of Neriah, Baruch the scribe. And he is to go and read this scroll to the people of Judah in the Lord's house in the temple on a day of fasting. Very specific. The audience, all the people that are in the Lord's house at that time, and the men of Judah. And I think it's important to call out the outcome that Jeremiah faithfully tells Baruch that the Lord gives him. That is what we just spoke about. That they may turn from their evil way, as said in verse 3. That this judgment is coming. May you turn away from your evil way. And as we discussed two weeks ago, there is great risk in doing this, as you can imagine. And I think it's worth noting that here, it's not Jeremiah himself who's going to the temple. He's asking Baruch to go and read for him. Um, Does anybody know maybe why that is? Any, Any guesses? Or if you know from Jeremiah, go ahead, Andrew. He's afraid. Yep. And knowing Jeremiah as a man who's been through much suffering, right? fear is, is still a common, normal human reaction. Um, there is a little bit more here than just fear. It's that, and this will be picked up next week, we don't have time, but it's that in, in chapter 26, he's been, oh, Philip, do you have something to say? That's right. Exactly. Yep. That they have banned him from going into the temple of the Lord. So he sends Baruch in his place. Go ahead, Mark. I have a question for you. Are these the same priests that uh, were against Jeremiah from the beginning? Is there a change of heart here? <clears throat> the men of Anathoth. Is that who you're talking about from his hometown? I do not know. I don't know if it, I do not know the answer to that. Um, it doesn't specify in the text. Um, but I think we do learn, and we'll get there in a minute, who the, some of these men are in verse 11. And they are officials in the temple. So perhaps there was a connection, but I, I can't say for sure. So let's, get, let's move on here to the actual reading of the scroll, because we're going to change a year, if you notice in verse 9. And it's in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. The fifth year. So, it doesn't say it in the text, um, but some commentators, I read through Matthew Henry, Derek, Derek Kidner said that potentially it took him a full year to write this scroll. It took time after Jeremiah dictated it to him. And so, we're in the ninth month, which would be December, and all the people in Jerusalem um, come from the cities of Judah, and a fast is proclaimed before the Lord. So just as he was instructed, the time has come, a fast is proclaimed in Jerusalem, 
And Baruch goes. It says in verse 10, Then in the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord. In the chamber of Gamaria, the son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper court, at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. He reads it at the entry of the gate in the Lord's house. What is this new gate? Uh, My Bible says this is where judicial cases would be heard in Jeremiah's era. Reading uh, Reading from a room in the upper courtyard, Baruch can be seen and heard by all the people down below. Since the king has proclaimed a fast, there are larger crowds in the temple than usual. This is providential. This is judgment coming. This is timely. It's, it's on purpose. So all people can hear this. And he's in a place, Baruch's in a place where they, they can hear it. In a passage we'll get to shortly, um, there are some people here, Mark, to, to, to your question, um, in verse 11, that respond to this reading of Scripture in the Lord's house. And it goes, When Micaiah, the son of Jemariah, son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the king's house, into the, king, into the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there. Elishama, the secretary, Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, El-Nathan, the son of Akbor, Jemariah, the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the officials. So here are the officials in the temple who, when they immediately hear this, go into the king's house, into the secretary's chamber to discuss it. This is a big deal. It's timely. Remember, the likelihood here, it doesn't say it specifically, but the likelihood here is that everyone was coming, the, the fast was proclaimed by the king himself. We see that in other parts of the Old Testament. And um, they need to discuss it together. And in verse 13, it says, And Micaiah told them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the scroll in the hearing of the people. Then all the officials sent Jehudi, the son of Nathaniah, son of Shelemiah, son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, take in your hand the scroll that you read in the hearing of the people and come. So they're down here meeting and they say, go get Baruch, bring him to us. He has the scroll, he's reading from it, let's talk about this. Go ahead, John. Yeah. By the time the king's trying to suppress it, he's already read it to the regular people. That's right. And in God's providence, it was Baruch who went in there, so he wasn't, so Jeremiah himself isn't banned. So maybe unexpected, you know, from their perspective. That's a great insight. I think um, we even learned some more here, so let's, let's keep going. Um, so they say to him in verse 15, sit down and read it. 
So Baruch read it to them. So he reads it again. When they heard all the words, they turned one to another in fear. Their response, when they hear it read in private to them, they turn to one another in fear. What is the response of the people? So we have the response of the officials. So in the scripture we just read, verses 1 through up to where we are now in 15, 16, what was the response of the people, not necessarily, not necessarily the officials? It's not, it's not mentioned. Yes, exactly. So we, we don't know. We don't know. But we, hear, we see here that there's fear. Fear, and I think it's something to ask, um, as we discussed, the purpose of the scroll, to lead, and Baruch reading it, and proclaiming God's truth, is to lead to repentance and faith. To turn away, to look again to God. And it says here, they turn to one another in fear. And they say, again, continuing in verse 16, we must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was that his dictation? Baruch answered them, he dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. Then the official said to Baruch, go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. So they have fear themselves, but also fear for what is to come in the response of the king. They brought him, they brought him down. They had Baruch read it all to them. When they, in a sense, in the commentary I was reading from Matthew Henry, they are consulting one another, maybe looking at, is this true? Like, is this scroll real? Kind of like we looked at the archaeological findings. Is this valid? Or is this guy just, you know, blowing smoke in our face? But I think, based on their response, it's clear. If they're fearful, there must be some sense that they, they're taking it very seriously, that this is real. Maybe a rather difficult question, but let me ask you this. Does fear mean repentance? Does fear to God's word mean always, I should say, repentance? I see heads shaking, no. Anyone want to take a, take a guess or take, give an explanation? I think fear often does lead to repentance, but it's made me think of um, the fear, uh, some of the descriptions of the Lord uh, is coming again. Uh, people have fear and they ask for the mountains to fall on them and stuff. They don't turn towards the Lord. They try to hide from them. Right. So yeah, it can have either. So maybe in that sense would it be almost fear for their own welfare, right. their safety. Right. Okay. Trying to hide from God like Adam. And, and fear from God, of course, too. Yes. And even here, it seems like their initial response is positive in the sense that they think the king needs to hear it and they want to hide Baruch and Jeremiah and protect them. 
but ultimately there's no sense that they like protest when the king burns it that they're like trying to they're not pushing hard to convince him of the right so in the end they're fearful about the prophecy but they're more fearful of the king it seems like yeah Kevin you have a deep voice worldly grief I want to be careful. It doesn't say specifically, again, that they did not repent. So let's, let's not insert words in scripture where they are not. Um, but I do, with all these excellent answers, I probably don't even need to do this. Um, well, there was a book in here. Hold on. Maybe in my fear I left it. Well, I'll look at it for it later. Um, oh, here it is. Puritan paper book. Puritan paperbacks can hide easily. Let's go to, this is Doctrine of Repentance by Thomas Watson. I think just for our benefit today, um, he has a great chapter on counterfeit repentance. Um, again, I'm not saying that these, these men, that this was 100% a counterfeit repentance, but I think it's something that we should consider ourselves and what is true repentance. So he says here, another deceit about repentance is resolution against sin. And so he'll explain it here. A person may purpose and make vows, yet be no penitent. Thou sayest, I will not transgress. transgress." Jeremiah 2.20. Here was a resolution, but see what follows. Quote, under every green tree, thou wanderest playing the harlot. Unquote. Notwithstanding her solemn engagements, she played fast and loose with God and ran after her idols. We see by experience what protestations, protestations a person will make when he is on his sickbed. If God should recover him again, yet he is as bad as ever. He shows his old heart in a new temptation. And then these resolutions against sin may arise from present extremity, not because sin, sin is sinful, but because it is painful. There's fear because sin is painful. The fear is not, this is, again, counterfeit repentance. This, res, this resolution will vanish. And then secondly here, from fear of future evil, an apprehension of death and hell. I'll read just kind of what he says at the end. Trust, and I think this says it really well, trust not to a passionate resolution. It is raised in a storm and will die in a calm. Trust not in a passion, to a passionate resolution. Resolution. It is raised in a storm, and will die in a calm. It be a danger in, our emo- in the emotional response that we see just to make a judgment call that true repentance has happened. Um, dare I linger too long there? Let's, let's move on to the burning of the scroll itself. Verses 20 through 26. So they went into the court to the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama the secretary, and Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was the ninth month, 
And the king was sitting in the winter house, and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Then neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when Elnathan and Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, and Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch, the secretary, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. So in verse 25, we do see, just continue what we just spoke about, Elnathan and Deliah and Gemariah urging the king not to burn the scroll. So there is an act there. They're saying, don't, don't burn it. Whether it's for fear of, up, of coming Babylon or in fear of what's in it itself, but there is fear. So we'll leave that, leave that where it is. But notice how he burns this scroll. Is there anything that sticks out to you about how he burns the scroll? Yeah, it's methodical. Column by column. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot. He is burning it very methodically. And verse 24 says the response, in a sense, in the negative that he should have had. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid nor did they tear their garments. The beginning of class, I mentioned um, another time before this. This verse in 24 depicts a response that happened in 621 BC in a sense. And if you turn with me to second, uh, the 22nd chapter of 2 Kings, when the book of the law is found in the temple... In verse 11. Uh, sorry, Second cha- Kings chapter 22. Verse 11. It's after the book of the law has been found. This is Josiah, Jehoiakim's father. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. Josiah shows a godly response to the word of God, for the sin of his people, for his own sin. He tears his clothes. And as we continue, he further follows up on it. He says, and the king commanded, Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikim, Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, and Achbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So, he tears his clothes, and to contrast Josiah and Jehoiakim, he says further to these men, go and inquire for me further about this. 
Jehoiakim, in verse 26, commands Jeremiel, Sariah, Shelemiah to seize Baruch and Jeremiah the prophet. He wants to get rid of what has been said. He wants to get rid of the people that are responsible for bringing the word. As we talked about two weeks, a lot of the persecutions against Jeremiah were for proclaiming the name of the Lord, the truth. They did not want to hear it. But I think, Jer- I think uh, Jehoiakim forget, forgot that he burned the scroll with fire, but the same God who made the fire, who created fire, who created the heavens and the earth. Again, general and special revelation comparisons we talked about a little bit earlier in a different context. Could just speak it again to his prophet. And that's what he does. 27, now after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And concerning, now this is to Jehoiakim, concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you, this is is Jehoiakim burning it, what he would be saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast? Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and here is the judgment. He shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I pronounced against them, but they would not hear. In Jeremiah 25, I had done some reading this week, and it said when we were reading it in the first verse even, it mentions Nebuchadnezzar. And why I think this is important with the historical context is it says in verse 1, you don't have to flip there, it says, the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. First year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The historical, the way that history has it is that Judah became a vassal state of Babylon in this year. 605 BC. The first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So he, de- so he denies the scroll, but open your eyes, Jehoiakim, your own eyes, and look at what is coming and what has come from the north. And yet he still burns it. He, burns, he burned the scroll methodically. I'd like to land, to land today on a higher note, though, and read further in 2 Kings 22 about what God does for Josiah, for his faithfulness, his, his response to the reading of his word, the book of the law that was found. In verses 14 to 20, capture it. 
So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikim and Akbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man, Josiah, who sent you, um, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and will not be quenched. But listen here. But to the king of Judah, Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. One king tore his clothes. He responded in repentance, a turning away from evil. True repentance. And God was faithful. His his days would end in peace. And he would be with his God. But we see here that the judgment is still coming. 587 BC. One question to ask. um, Just to be careful here. Do we look at Jehoiakim and say that he is simply an evil king or an evil man and further an evil king that lived 2,600 plus years ago? I think his response is applicable to us today. We are sinners in need of Jesus Christ, the only way, the the way, the truth, and the life. All people who have not repented are without hope, but those who repent, God God is faithful. He is just. And he will, he will cover us in his righteousness. He will wipe away the record of our sins and look upon his son and I think it's applicable to us today. We are, we are still sinners. And Jehoiakim is a great example of that. But he's a man, he's a king as well. And there was great responsibility before him. But he turned away from the Lord. So, to finish up today, I did want to sing hymn 140, A Word of God Incarnate.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that salvation is of you, is of the Lord, that you have spoken to us in these last days by your Son, that we have a fuller picture, a room brightly litten by Christ to see all of your word, see it perfectly, um, rather not perfectly from our perspective, but we can see Christ who is perfect. Lord, guide us as we head into morning worship. Help us to hear your word, to listen and hang on every word, to love one another this day, to respond in faith uh, to you and to care for those who you have placed around us. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for our church. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.